Good morning. A word of God from Luke. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he took him up in his arms and blessed, the, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed altogether. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. If you would pray with me just for a moment. Lord, as we prepare for this time, for this season of hearing from your word, we pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to not only hear what the word says, but to understand in our hearts what it means to motivate us to move us closer to you. And Lord, indeed, as you work in us through your Holy Spirit, make us into different people at the end of this season. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Jason, and most of you know that. And, uh, I'm glad to see all of you here this morning, and it is good to be together on a Sunday morning, particularly a Sunday morning right after we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' birth, and we do it by having Harry Connick Jr. sing songs to us over and over and over and over, and... <laughs> I'm actually happy for that, but, um, but one of the things that also happens is we're reminded during that season of maybe some of the songs that we don't hear as often, and I remember distinctly um, hearing and being caught off guard by that song, you know, do you see what I see, and I remember it so clearly because as a child, it was like one of the first songs that I thought about the lyrics of it. And was like, are you kidding what's happening in this song? It's like mind blown. It's amazing. Like, it's all these different people. And they're talking about when Jesus was born. And they're doing it from different perspectives. Isn't that amazing? And the rest of you right now are having the experience that all of you should have, which is, yeah, that's mind blowing for a little kid. Um, because it's not that mind blowing. It's actually just kind of an interesting conceit. And... Um, but, like, something doesn't have to be complicated to be true. Something doesn't have to be complicated to be deep and profound. 
In fact, um, the pastor that I did my internship with when I was young, um, Joel was, is one of our interns here at Denver Prez, and when I was younger than he was, I was an intern at a church, and the man I interned with, Richard, um, he just had a way of summarizing things that was very simple, very easy to understand, and didn't require looking things up in a dictionary or a thesaurus, probably the way I am for many of you. Like, I know that I'm wordy. But Richard would talk about scratch-and-sniff theology. And what he meant by this was people would come with a pastoral need, and they would usually come with a long story and then a request. And that convoluted story would start any number of ways. It might start with, well, I need rent money because my cousin came into town, and then we had some other folks over, and then before you knew it, the cops was there, and, 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 and. Or you might get this. Can you help me tell my husband slash wife that he slash she is wrong because, et cetera, et cetera. Or you might get a request that says, now, so Mama and Uncle Fred are in the hospital, and I had already missed so much work this week. Is there somebody who can watch my kids? And no matter what the request was, Richard was always so gracious in listening to the full story, giving assistance where it was requested, and giving assistance where it was needed. And sometimes where it was requested and where it was needed was maybe two different things. And that's what gets to his scratch-and-sniff theology, because he would just shake his head, and he would say, man, it's scratch-and-sniff. Anytime somebody's circumstances change on them, it scratches, and you get a sniff of the sin that they struggle with. It hit me hard when I was his intern, and those words echo for me every year that I'm in ministry. Because it's true, and I see it in myself. When my circumstances shift, it scratches, and the whiff that I get is, and this is where it's like working on my sin, working on those areas where I'm still reactive, and I'm still self-protective, and I'm still depending on myself instead of depending on God, whatever that is. And that kind of simplicity really helps to show just how profoundly humble Richard is, but also just how discerning he actually is. Because the way he saw things helped me see things in myself and still does help, help me see things in myself. It helps with that discernment, that ability to see what's going on in my own life and in the lives of those around me. Discernment is desirable. It's something that in the Bible is talked about as a very potent gift. It enables wise leadership and it bolsters personal achievement. It's actually something we should want. And in this passage of the New Testament that Ruth read to us just a moment ago, we encounter Simeon, this old man who is led by and gifted by the Holy Spirit with discernment. He's able to see things that maybe not everybody else is that he's able to see the faithfulness of Jesus' earthly parents, that he's able to see the healing of so much suffering that's going to take place, and that he's able to see the significance of Jesus' birth. So today we're going to follow this brief account of Simeon in Luke's gospel, and we're going to seek to see what he saw 
and in our own way to discern faithfulness, comfort, and hope. So as Luke writes this gospel and gives us this story of Simeon, gives us this perspective of this old man who's faithful, waiting in the temple, waiting to see the Lord's Christ, Luke wants us to see him and wants us to see what Simeon sees. So just look with me again at verse 27. It's talking about Simeon. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now, here's where I want to stop and just pause for a moment. This idea of according to the custom of the law, this was one of the refrains in the whole passage. Maybe you heard it the way I heard it. One of the things that I like to do whenever I study a passage is I actually write it out longhand. That helps me. I know that that may sound weird to to many people, but that helps me. It helps me slow down and listen to what the passage is actually saying. And then one of the first things I do after I write it out longhand is I circle repeated phrases And there is a repetition of that phrase, but also a repetition of that kind of concept. This idea of according to the custom of the law, it was seeded in the verses preceding this. And you see it in verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, according to what was said in the law of the Lord. According to the law of the Lord, according to the law of the Lord, according to the law of the Lord. It's basically emphasizing that what Mary and Joseph are participating in is the ordinary faithfulness of doing what God's word says to do. And that is something that Simeon sees. And because it's recorded, we need to see it too. We need to see this ordinary faithfulness as these parents bringing in their child with them are keeping the law of Moses and the law of the Lord. It's a time for the ritual purification after childbirth. Basically, if there were bodily fluids involved, there was a purification rite so that when people came to worship, they would be in the right position in order to worship God. And so Mary and Joseph were seeing to it that they followed through with all of these purification rites, and here they are. They're being faithful, but they're being faithful primarily by showing up because the purification ritual is not something that they had to do at home and provide a record of. It's something that they did by the guidance and the instruction of the priest. They just needed to show up. And so they show up, and they brought their sacrifices, two turtle doves and a pair of young pigeons. And, you know, and and if you want to do this, like this has helped me, you know, two turtle doves and a pair of young pigeons, anyway. Um, But they're bringing the sacrifice, the sacrifice that you're supposed to bring. They're not just showing up, but they're also contributing. But it's interesting that This could have been said more briefly, and parchment was not an inexhaustible resource. So why did Luke take the time to write it down? Why did so many manuscript copiers copy this down faithfully and carefully, spending that space to record that they brought two turtle doves and a pair of young pigeons? Because it's there to help us see it. Joseph and Mary aren't a power couple. They're not influential. They're not wealthy. 
They're not high-status people. They're bringing the floor option of the sacrifice. It's the lowest Patreon rung. They're bringing the smallest sacrifice that the law allows people to bring for this purification rite because they are strapped for cash. They're in a part of the country that they don't live in already because there was a census. And so they are leaning on the hospitality of people, and they're not even afforded that much. They're in temporary housing that's not even that great a temporary housing. They're staying functionally in a barn, but they're doing what they can, and they're about to be political refugees. This is the contribution that is the bare minimum, and they're showing up and contributing humbly and faithfully. So what do I see when I look at this? I see the contrast of this story compared to how I might have wanted it to go. I think there is this itch in my ears, a craving in my heart that wants this to be different. Because I think a wealthy, more influential family with extravagant offerings coming with baby Jesus to the temple might sound better, might, might resonate better. But instead, what Luke wants me to see, what Simeon sees, is the humble faithfulness of a poor, displaced couple who will soon be political refugees. Because it's not very long after this that they have to go to Egypt to get away from the murderous narcissism of Herod. Their story has already been difficult and is about to be even more difficult. And yet, they show up and contribute, not because they have their act together but because it's the right way to honor the Lord according to his word. And so I have to ask myself, do I do that? Or do I let even minor inconveniences excuse me from being involved, from taking the time, from giving out of my abundance? Do I show up because I feel guilt or shame rather than because God's word says I should show up? It starts to work on me when I think about how I actually look at it. I need to see it the way Luke is showing it to me, the way Simeon saw it. And as Luke tells it, Simeon sees it, sees the humble faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, and we also see that he has a strong desire. Simeon himself has a strong desire for comfort, comfort at last. Luke uses his words to paint such a riveting portrait of this moment. So I'm going to read again verses 27 and 28 so that it lands for us. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Can you picture it? Can you picture this? This old man who's just patiently waiting for God to comfort his people. Maybe to finally feel the comfort and the payoff of his faithfulness over so many years. And his trembling hands take that infant and hold him close. Have you seen a scene like that? Have you seen that kind of thing happen? Like babies are magic. Because 
suddenly people just want to see. They want to see this new life, this new complete human that's the size of a football. They want to see. They want to see the new hope that's there, hope for future generations. And maybe you've seen it in a grandparent or even a great-grandparent taking an infant into their arms, and there's so much there. There's that gratitude, that hope, that celebration, maybe a whispered, thank you, Lord. It's a holy moment when you see that. And we see Simeon do just that, taking the infant Jesus into his arms and blessing God. Lord, thank you for letting me see this, for letting me see it at last. And then he says, Lord, let me go. This thing that he says, and in, in most of our copies of the scripture, most of our translations of the scripture, this is like inset as verse because Simeon is saying some very significant stuff and we need to pay attention to it. And this is a passage that in Latin is referred to as the nunc dimittis. It is the, basically, Lord, let me depart. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You hear the echoes of this according to your word. Because as we see in the passage earlier, the Holy Spirit had already told Simeon, you're going to see the, the Lord's Christ before you die. And now that he's seen him and he knows the moment, he's read the room, he's discerned that this is the Christ that he's held, this little infant, and now he's able to say, Lord, you can let me go now. Simeon is calling on the faithfulness of the Lord to allow him comfort at last from those long years of waiting that he's endured for this consolation of Israel in verse 25. This hope that God would come and rescue and comfort his people. The hope that God's Messiah would come and make things the way they ought to be. That was first hinted at in the Garden of Eden, promised in the line of Moses, echoed in the words of the prophets, and now, prophets, and now finally, finally he's here. And so Simeon says, Lord, please let me be at rest. Let me be at rest. The kind of endurance he had to be at a place where the most comforting thing would be finally to pass. It's profound. Simeon sees the infant Jesus, and because of his intimate connection with the Holy Spirit, Simeon is able to see and discern that this baby is the Messiah, the one sent from God to change everything. And all the years of waiting are over. Simeon can finally be at rest, and at last, Simeon can rest not only from this vigil, but from this life that is so trying. So I see this. I see this long obedience in the same direction that Simeon has been perpetrating, and I see it and I wonder about him. What all had he endured? He was faithfully showing up year after year to a temple that was a poor reconstruction of a poor reconstruction of the glorious temple that Solomon had built. He was showing up year after year as a parade of different occupational forces held the land that the Lord had promised to his people. And he continued to show up even as the last message 
to his people from a prophet had been recorded hundreds of years ago. Four centuries had passed since the last bona fide prophet had spoken. And after so much time waiting, enduring, and suffering, he could rest at last, finding comfort in the appearance of Jesus. So I see this and I think about my own suffering, the, the things that I have to carry year after year. Knowing that some of those things, some of those hurts, are never going to fade until Jesus returns and wipes all of my tears away. Those years of pain, of endurance, of always having to try again, these are going to be caught up and transformed in the beautiful comfort that the Lord has for his people. But that comfort is not all that Simeon sees. He also sees hope. Because that comfort is beautiful, but that's not where his, his song ends. He says, verses 30 through 32, he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon also sees a much bigger picture than his own comfort. He sees a picture that Jesus' arrival is not just for comforting his people, but for the demonstrative, declarative, I love you to all the peoples of the earth. I will make you as a light for the, for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, says Isaiah 49.6. This is the kind of light that Simeon's talking about here a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. God is reconciling his people and calling them from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the hope of not just God's people, but all people. This is the sweeping reconciling of Jesus in the world. As the verse of, the, of joy to the world puts it, no more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infect the ground, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. That is the extent of what Jesus is going to do. And Simeon somehow sees this. And with him, we're able to see it. That God's at work in something so much larger here than we would ever dare to hope. It's amazing. And we're caught up in it. Because Simeon sees the struggle these parents are going to have. And he blesses them. He knows that Jesus is a much bigger deal than they can even conceive. And he blesses them. And he says even to Mary in verses 34 and 35, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's plain talking about the reality that suffering is going to accompany his transformative work and that it's going to affect everyone. I think that's why he gives that aside to Mary, saying, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Like, wow, that's heavy. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I see this, and I initially feel downbeat. I'm like, really? 
that is what you're going to say to this little baby's mother? I see this and it feels contradictory. If Jesus showing up makes everything better, why have a message like this? Hey, your baby, is actually, your baby actually is the most special little boy ever. And by the way, you're going to suffer and grieve heinously, like being stabbed in the very center of your being. Like, this doesn't sound right. I don't see it, so I have to sit with it and see after sitting with it, after, after having Simeon show me how to see it, that yes, the appearing of Jesus is beautiful and it does inaugurate the kingdom of God, but that that kingdom of God is not altogether complete as yet. It's not completely manifested. It's there, it's real, but it's not yet showing up in every part of life. And the hope that assures me as part of God's people is a hope that comforts me and allows me to continue in humble faithfulness and in continued suffering. It helps me to bear with the limits that I continue to have, with the burdens I continue to carry. This hope is expansive and expanding. It is for so many others who have yet to answer the call, but assuredly will because God surely will save all his elect. And so my suffering can be part of the overall big picture. I can be there when Jesus returns or until having served as I can, I can say to the Lord, let me depart in peace. I can do it because I'm caught up in something so big that even my substantial suffering is somehow made complete. That my suffering is both comforted and transformed by the Lord. But it's not always easy to see. And maybe sometimes, maybe this is why we don't have a movie delivered to us by the Lord, but we have words, words that can be read, that can be read aloud and can be heard, because sometimes we have to hear it. Sometimes we have to hear it and not just see it. In music theory, there are these uh, concepts, and I'm just going to introduce them very briefly, and I will go ahead and put the disclaimer now. I've not studied music theory. I'm probably doing this wrong. So can I hear an amen from somebody who knows music theory? <laughs> but there are these ideas, consonants. Consonants is when the notes go together when they blend well, when they fit. And then you have dissonance, when the notes feel like they don't fit. Um, and you have this concept called resolution, when it comes back to consonants. So consonants, when the notes fit, they harmonize. It sounds very stable. It sounds very even. And dissonance comes in when there's instability, for us, the most familiar example of dissonance are minor chords. That's when those notes in the combination leave us feeling unsettled. Now, if you remember the Far Side cartoon where they're in an Old West saloon and the piano player turns to the banjo player and says, bad guy coming in, minor key, Jed. <laughs> you understand dissonance, right? 
Because the minor key is what plays in our minds because of TV and movies and all those things where they'll, they'll, the, the theme music underneath what's happening on screen is in a minor key. And the dissonance, that unsettling feeling we get when we hear it alerts us to this is bad stuff that's going down. This, is, this isn't right. But then something does go right the protagonist escapes danger, and what happens to the theme music? It comes back to the consonant, the major keys. All the notes fit, and we feel relieved, and we feel maybe, you know, not just relief, but maybe a lot of satisfaction or a lot of excitement. And that's the resolve, the resolution, that coming back to consonants, coming back to the notes that fit. So when we experience that, it feels good. It feels good to have notes that return that stability. And yet, when we're experiencing it as a resolution, after that minor key comes in and the dissonance disrupts us, when we feel that major key come back in, it's almost better than when we first heard it. It's almost better for that comparison because of that instability we felt to have the stability return. Those minor notes actually help us to more clearly hear the beauty of the major progression. So, do you hear what I hear? When we hear the story of Simeon, we hear the reach of the story of God's people back years, years and years of anguish awaiting the comfort of God's people, and we hear the minor notes of suffering in the midst of this hopeful message, we hear the resolution as words of blessing comes to our ears. The fact is that right now, we may be living in that mix. There's a lot of great notes playing in our life, but we still feel that minor key. Maybe you, like many, are here during this holiday season but it's not for you the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe there are losses and hurts that linger with you and are called to memory in this season. Maybe what you mostly hear are those minor keys, the dissonance in what's happening in your life. If you hear what I hear, though, if you hear along with Simeon, what you hear is that there is a resolution coming. And it doesn't obliterate that pain, but it resolves it. And it folds those minor key notes that are so discordant into the rising chorus of praise for how faithful God has been, is, and will be. I need to hear it. We need to hear it. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to give us the faith so that we can hear it, so that we can celebrate the resolution to come.